Okay, so just so you know, in this episode, we discuss some pretty serious topics, including um, sexual assault and sexual harassment allegations. Um, Notable names mentioned include Casey Affleck, Bill O'Reilly, and Brock Turner. Um, And then we also talk about the portrayal of suicide on screen in discussion of the Netflix TV show 13 Reasons Why. There's also some links in the description for information about reporting um, and support for sexual assault and sexual harassment, as well as some links for suicide prevention um, and places to go for help. Okay, thank you. Hello and welcome to Mixed Feelings, a podcast about news, politics, and pop culture on the Real AFM network. I'm Quinn Rose, and I'm here as always with my co-host Jillian Parker. Hey Quinn! Hey everyone! Hi Jillian, how you doing? I'm doing good. This is one of the days where I'm in a pretty good mood when we're recording. Oh, amazing. I'm in a good mood too, which doesn't make any sense because life is interesting right now. Oh yeah, retweet. It's tech week for me, which means that I have a minimum, a minimum, mind you, of four hours of rehearsal a day um, all the way through Saturday. And a maximum of four hours of sleep a night. <laughs> Is that accurate, Quinn? I mean, I see, the thing is, like, I've been prioritizing sleep recently because I was sick for so long, mm-hmm. um, which is good, and so I feel much better and healthier, but also, none of my work is done. Oh, brutal. <laughs> so, we will see how this goes. But for now, feeling cheery, um, we may all be facing imminent death from World War Three. <sighs> yeah. But I'm pretty young and I've lived a very sheltered life, so I don't have a good sense of my own mortality, which I think is working in my favor in this situation because I'm kind of just like, I'll, I'll probably survive. I feel like I, I have a better sense of my mortality and I'm just like, I've just accepted it. Like, there's nothing I can do at this point, so might as well just accept whatever comes. This is a nihilist podcast now. <laughs> Yikes. But yeah, we're not going to get too much into that stuff today um, and the bombings that have happened recently and the possibility of retaliation from North Korea, which, to be fair, doesn't seem to be going technologically very well on their side, so we will see. Um, but yeah, not not really going to dive too much into that this week um, or the whole Brexit situation. <laughs> Yeah, TLDR in the Brexit situation, Theresa May, who's the Prime Minister of England, um, is calling for a new election so she can potentially get more seats in Parliament so that when she does carry out um, Brexit and um, Article 50, that she has more power and more authority behind behind her. So Yeah, so basically that's a hot mess. Yeah, that is a very hot mess right now. So we'll see. We'll probably be talking about that more as this develops. Yeah. But that's what we have for now. The election's in June, right? Yeah, I think they, yeah, they bumped it up. They bumped it up, like, three years. Mm-hmm, June I, 8th. I didn't even know, like, can we do that? Can we do that? Can we put a presidential election, like, next month? <laughs> <laughs> if we have a prime minister, maybe. Uh, well, yeah. So, we'll see how that goes. She said as she looked at her upcoming England trip looming in the distance. <laughs> Who knows how that's gonna go by the time I get there, but I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> maybe you'll pull Nazra and... <laughs> The news of Brexit will escalate or something, and then the dollar will be worth more over there. Oh, yeah. Our, our roommate who um, studied in England last summer uh, left for it, like, three days after Brexit was voted on. And so 
it was kind of a bad time to go to England, but it was kind of the best time because the pound plummeted. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, like, all of her money was worth more. So there's that. Gotta love those foreign currency exchanges. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. But over here in United States elections, we had a little election in Georgia just a couple days ago. So um, Georgia is on the whole very, very Republican, and John Ossoff, a Democrat, almost won the um, the House district in Georgia on Wednesday, which, you know, kind of alarmed Republicans because they thought, you know, this was an easy win for them. Um, but it was actually very, very close. Yeah, which is really weird. You said, like, this is a conservative district. It's just they haven't elected a Democrat in, like, 40 years or something like that. Um, and so... He just, and he just missed, like, the 50% cutoff for being outright elected. Mm -hmm. um, and the next highest person um, had, like, 20% of the vote. Mm -hmm. Now, keep in mind, this was an 18-person race. <laughs> so that that's why it was split so drastically. But the fact that he got so much was really striking. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he did, um, did raise $8.3 million, which is more than four times of the next closest candidate, is also pretty impressive, especially in such a conservative district. Yeah, well, what it was is um, something like 95% of that money came from outside of the district. Oh, that makes sense. Because, yeah, like, the Democratic National Convention, like, really poured in a lot of money mm -hmm. and staff to this, and Democrats across the country, who are all, you know, freaking out, um donated money to this campaign directly you know even if you live in california if you are really concerned about the state of the country this was something you could do is like donate money to this one democrat's campaign so a lot of people did that this better explains trump's tweet which was like despite major outside money fake in all caps media support and 11 republican candidates big r win with runoff in georgia glad to be of help exclamation point yeah that was also like so dumb because it was wrong <laughs> which i mean are we surprised but it was not a big r win at all yeah and he claimed the victory before the race was even called so yeah there's but there's that. there's going to be a runoff in june mm -hmm. um so now it's going to be john ossoff and the next highest um person karen handel who's a republican um and they will have face face off in a head-to-head -head race on june 20th yeah which is like, that's going to be a whole new race because um, it's like now the Republican vote isn't going to be split between so many people. So um, it might not go well at all. But even with what we've had so far, I say we, you know, you all know I'm a Democrat. Even what we've achieved so far is honestly really impressive for this district. And like, there's a lot of factors here because, of course, like this is one election happening and so so many people across the country could donate money to it whereas in 2018 when everybody's going for re-election you know there's their resources are going to be a lot more split and a lot more fragmented um so we're not going to have the same opportunity to try to push for um these seats but at the same time this is still a very impressive almost victory um and it goes to show like the tide against trump because he is so unpopular. He's an extremely unpopular president, just by, like, national polling. Standards, yeah. Yeah. And, like, there are some presidents who never reached the um, disapproval rating that he has in the first hundred days. Yeah, so this is going to be an excellent four years. I can't believe it hasn't even been a hundred days yet. Yeah, I know. It feels like my entire life. Oh, my God. Okay, yeah. It's, this is rough. 
but but how, but house seats maybe if we can get them overturned before we all die yeah it's it's funny though because like in a lot of these articles republicans aren't that eager to run anymore anyways which was um which will you know like i think be of an advantage for democrats um because they're kind of like looking at this administration like uh, do I really want to be associated with this for the rest of my Republican career kind of thing? So mm-hmm. I think a few of them want to take a brief hiatus. Yeah, there is, there's a weird line to toe here because either you're super all in on Trump, in which case, ew, or you're a more like moderate slash traditional Republican who has to balance this line between like supporting the presidential administration um, and assuming that we ever survive and get out of this, like still having a career after Trump um, either leaves office or does something that's illegal and gets impeached or anything like that. Yeah. More illegal. Um, I don't know. (laughs) I believe Karen Handel is the one who's like on the fence um, because she does technically support Trump, but she wasn't like a lot of her other uh, Republican, um, her Republican peers um, during the campaign who like supported him right away and were like using all of his catchphrases to gain, you know, support. She was kind of like, I'm just gonna not. And she supported other candidates instead. Um, So yeah, she does have to, you know, toe the, toe the line here. Yeah. The, the whole using his catchphrases, because like, so I have um, Republican representatives, right? Like I'm re- represented by a Republican in the House. Um, and if he started going around saying, make America great again, I already don't like him very much. <laughs> like this would be a new level. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. I will say though, it's so hard not to pick up some of these phrases. Like yesterday in rehearsal, someone said something and then it turned out to be wrong and we were like, oh, just kidding, like, we're actually doing this for choreo and, like, half the group went, fake news. <laughs> oh, or, like, in the group chat when when somebody says something and then JK, it's like, you are fake news. <laughs> I got roasted with that phrase recently and I was like, okay, first of all, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of funny. <laughs> but yeah, this follows another really recent, surprisingly tight race in a conservative district. The other one was in Kansas, I believe, Mm-hmm. where the Republican um, in- incumbent did keep his seat, but it was another case where it's like, that's normally not a seat that would be contested at all, and in our current political climate, it was. Mm-hmm. Already, Republican candidates and outside groups have had to spend over $7 million against Democrats in a series of deeply conservative districts, which, again, emphasizes the point that Repub- Republicans are like, oh, this is not good. This administration is making all of us look bad. <laughs> what should we do? Yeah, it is really interesting that they, that's a really good point. It's like they have to pour resources into places they wouldn't normally have to pour them. Um, granted, that's also because like Democrats are putting resources in those districts. And also, can there's just so much money in politics and it freaks me out when I think about it. Like, can you know what we could do with that money if we weren't putting in campaigns? But I digress. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's a bit of an arms race with campaigning for these seats right now. It's just like, who can put in the most money? Um, because I feel like if a Democrat just showed up and ran in one of these districts, um, on average, they would have no chance. But when they have the full support and national support and every, all of this behind them, and we have such an unpopular president, and if the incumbent is 
um, unpopular or like recently did something dumb for any reason, like that actually puts their seat at risk for the first time in in decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to emphasize how much this is, well, how big this really is. I don't think there was a rep from this district since the Carter administration. Is that right? A, a, a long ago administration. Yes, yes. Um, and also, um, the Trump won very big in Atlanta's northern suburbs, but he did so by just a single point four years after Mitt Romney romped to a 23-point victory. So even though... Like, a lot of these districts did obviously vote Republican. It's still not still not by much, um, which I think is just a really interesting indicator of where our country is politically as far as climate goes. Just, we're not really, <laughs> Republicans are not, we're not doing too great right now, as you can tell. <laughs> oh my god, that was such an evil laugh. I'm sorry, but get, like, I need to find joy somewhere. <laughs> You know I love you. I'm just not super hot on your uh, national party. <laughs> well, you win some, you lose most. Um, oh wait, what's that line from Hamilton where it's like, um, "Hate the sin, love the sinner." Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's not really applicable to this situation. I just feel like I do. Every... I do not love Paul Ryan. <laughs> uh, who does though? Like, let's be honest here. Yeah. Although those political cartoons of him are quite hilarious. I'm not really caught up on my Paul Ryan political cartoons. <laughs> They're pretty much just, like, making fun of the fact that he has no backbone and is pretty much just one of Trump's puppets, and there's, like, a political cartoon of him who's, he's, like, speaking in front of the house, and, and he's, like, it's, like, he's wearing a suit, but his head is, like, really small, so it looks like, I don't know, it's just funny. I've seen a lot of things where it'd be like, oh, look, I found a picture of Paul Ryan, and it'll be just a picture of a random invertebrate. <laughs> And then someone changed his Wikipedia page to that for, like, a hot five seconds. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, we may have lost the presidency and the House and the Senate, um, but we are good at editing Wikipedia. (laughs) (sighs) Classic. I hate my life. (laughs) We started off really strong, though, with this podcast today. We were in a good mood, and now it only took 18 minutes into recording for us to be like, we hate our lives. Always. Always. So, uh, relating to what we talked about a few episodes episodes ago, we have more information on the O'Reilly scandal, um, which is a part of Quinn's favorite network, Fox News. Um, so, basically, what's happening is Fox News and Bill O'Reilly are talking about exit. So, um... We talked about on the previous episode how a lot of advertisers were pulling their commercials off uh, Fox News, and Fox News was losing a lot of money um, because these companies did not want to be associated with Bill O'Reilly because five women actually came up and said he sexually harassed them. So that's been, you know, not a great PR experience for Fox News. Um, But on Tuesday, representatives for Fox and O'Reilly have been saying that the two groups are, you know, or the two parties are talking about a potential exit, um, but this prompted a denial from um, O'Reilly's side. However, one person, close to O'Reilly apparently, said that he will probably not be back on the O'Reilly factor, which, you know, makes sense. Yeah, at the time of recording, we don't have official confirmation that this is happening yet. These are all still, like, rumors and, you know, trusted sources say and all this kind of stuff. 
Um, maybe by the time this is out, it will have been confirmed, um, or maybe it'll go a different way. But this does lead um, into an email that we got recently that we want to talk about. And so basically, on the past on the show, talking about Casey Affleck and talking about Bill O'Reilly, um, we've expressed our displeasure um, with these men basically still being famous and successful even after these charges of um, sexual harassment have come out. And so we got an email, which I thought was very thoughtful, asking us about this idea of um, companies and like private business punishing people when they have not been convicted by a court. Um, So this idea of like the advertisers pulling out of Bill O'Reilly's show, even though he settled these claims out of court and was never like found guilty by a court, right? Um, Or like, did Casey, should Casey Affleck like not have won an Oscar because of these, um, these accusations? Again, though, even though this hasn't been settled in a court yet. Mm-hmm. So TLDR question of his email was, do public or private companies have the right to punish a person who is not found guilty by a court? Hmm. So I have thoughts. I know you have thoughts. Do you want to, do you want to take it away? Yeah. So basically I understand how the question is, you know, has a very rich or complex, like, history behind it, um, just because, you know, there are all these nuances and, like, details that um, can be glossed over in sweeping generalizations like the one I'm about to make, but TLDR, yes, I think they, um, legally, I don't think public institutions can be like, no, we can't serve you or we can't sell you this, Um, but de facto, like, the people will do what they want to do, as in, you know, even though... um, famous, these famous people weren't proven guilty, the possibility that they sexually assaulted someone or sexually harassed someone and can get away with it, um, by, you know, still being up for Oscar, uh, nominations and such does not really set a good example for our society and how are we supposed to, you know, move forward with that lurking, um, (laughs) lurking in the background. Um, so yeah, I, when Quinn first introduced this topic to me I like thought it over and I was like Quinn like what do you think and she was like oh like I think I agree with it and I was like well she said she agreed with it and I was like oh I think I also agree with it and this was weird because usually we don't agree on a lot of things I mean Um, okay we agree on like base things but I was expecting this to be more complicated but we we've basically come to the same conclusion with this yeah yeah and I mean in this conversation like we are primarily talking about like men versus women although obviously sexual assault and sexual harassment is more complicated than that and a person of any gender can harm in this way a person of any other gender. But in the cases that we're specifically talking about, this is primarily like, well, rich white men versus women. Um, so that's like the parameters that we're speaking in. Because I'm all, you know me, I love, <laughs> I love capitalism and I am all about, you know, being ruthless and being competitive when it comes to business. But I still don't think we should reward people Um even if they haven't been proven guilty by the system, because that still, you know, spreads the idea that actions don't have consequences. And sure, Casey Affleck might be the best actor up for this award, but, you know, if you're not at least halfway a decent person, then personally, I don't think you deserve to get any more positive attention um, to detract away from, or to distract from the negative attention that you're already getting. And you shouldn't be able to have it both ways. Like, if you do bad things and your career suffers... Okay, good, like, good riddance. If you're a good person and your career still suffers, that sucks. But if you're a bad person and your career goes off the charts, well, like, that just does not make sense to me. Yeah, this is... So, I don't like, this is a complicated topic, and these are our personal opinions on it, um, and they're not, like, the definitive opinions. Um, but 
for me, like looking at, like, let's take especially the entertainment industry because that's where I think it's most prevalent. And that's what we're talking about here. Rich white men are not punished for their actions. And like, you can just look at the way that this industry continues to celebrate and reward these men, even if they do horrible things. Mm-hmm. Roman Polanski raped a child. He won an Oscar for Best Director and he got a standing ovation at the Oscars. Like, Mel Gibson is on tape being a horrific person. He was nominated for Best Director this year. Like, he was smiling and laughing front row of the crowd or something like that. Like, this happens over and over and over again. And so when I express that, like, I am very displeased that Casey Affleck won an Oscar, even with these... um, sexual harassment allegations that's not in a vacuum it's not just because like this one thing happened and it made me mad it's because this is a pattern and this is something that we can see and document happening over and over again and that's what i'm mad about and when we live in a world that like a man admitted on tape to being like very happy and excited about the idea of sexually assaulting women and then we elect him president of the united states like yeah i'm gonna be more mad about this than usual (laughs) So I agree with basically what you said earlier is like companies can't be like, no, I'm not going to serve you um, because you're accused of this crime. But when you are like a rich, white, famous man are you and you are continued to get money and get fame and get success, um, even when these allegations are surrounding you and in most cases are true, then there's a systematic problem there. Mm-hmm. And like... Um, Like, Roger Ailes recently had to leave Fox News because so many women came forward to express sexual um, harassment claims. Including Megyn Kelly. And O'Reilly actually defended him. Yep. So, fun fact. Oh my god, we can come back to that for a second. Like, men, um, (laughs) like, terrible men defending other terrible men. But, um, yeah, so he had to leave the network. He left with $40 million. Yeah. Like... Do, do you see how this is, like, a systematic thing? <laughs> I, um, yeah, I, the only thing I want to push back on is that um, you said, you know, rich white males, like, never suffer the consequences of their actions. Um, and that is true to an extent, but I want to point out that, you know, especially in business, like, they do get punished if they're involved in insider trading. I think this problem mostly comes from, you know, the, when it relates to women and it sort of degrades, like, women's importance in this. I think that's more of what we're trying to go for here. Yeah, yeah, I will say it's it's definitely, like, it's when there is a conflict between, like, a man and a woman that this tends to come out. Yes. You know, like, the, that the man is trusted over the woman, the man is rewarded over the woman, and, like, if you are, if you are one of the women who is, like, made to feel, like, extremely uncomfortable, harassed um, by Casey Affleck, and then you have to sit there and you watch him, like, accept an Oscar, which is one of the greatest accolades that is possible to win in that field. Like, that just sent this message that, like, your experience and your pain doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. We don't care because he's a good actor. Mm-hmm. And it also brings up, I think, the um, complexity of this question comes from, you know, is there a line between work and your personal life? Um, and so, like, some people will say, oh, just because, you know, um, this guy has marital problems doesn't mean, you know, he's not a good father or, like, things like that. But when it comes to, like, sexual assault, that is more than just, you know, one side of your life. That, you know, like, you... It, it bring At least to me, like, 
if you sexually assault someone, you, it's not like, oh, this is something you did. It it's becomes sort of like your identity because what you did is just so horrific and I think like a crime against humanity. Um, so I think there is a difference between, you know, separating your personal life and your work life and we can have an argument about that. But I think when it comes to this specifically, like if you sexually assault someone, you are a rapist. It's not like, oh, well, I raped someone in my personal life, you know? Like, mm-hmm. that that boundary isn't there anymore. Yeah. And again, like, we're talking about sexual assault and sexual harassment in this conversation, which are two separate things, mm-hmm. but are put in the same category because they're both, like, um, crimes typically against women that, in this case, we're talking about, like, rich, white, successful men getting away with. Um, and... I will, I will say, like, and there's also a difference between, like, living a life and, like, being rehabilitated and being a productive member of society versus being rich and famous. Mm-hmm. Because I absolutely believe that, like, people who commit crimes, even horrible crimes like sexual assault, like, should be, like, should go through the system, should serve the time that they deserve, which very often they do not serve the time that they deserve. Like, shout out to Brock Turner and that entire thing and how he's one of... The rapist who will serve more time in jail than other, um, like, young white men who sexually assault women. (sighs) Like, people should be able to do their time, be rehabilitated, and, like, be a productive member of a society. Like, I'm not saying that they're not human anymore. They don't deserve the chance to, like, live anymore. And I really hope that they can become productive members of society and that they don't hurt other people. But... I think that if you do do something like that, you don't deserve to be rich and famous anymore. You don't deserve to be to be given further success, like, in an entertainment field. That There's a difference there. Mm-hmm. I was sitting here and I was listening to you um, say all that and it just made me realize, like, how, I guess, more forgiving you are. And <laughs> it's funny because we, you know, we joke about that, like, I'm the Catholic one and you're not. And it's just like, <laughs> it's just like, wow, you're a lot more forgiving than I am. Um, because I think at least for me, like, I know, you know, all the messages in the Bible are all about forgiveness and stuff, but that's exactly what I mean. Like, in the Bible, it's, like, all about forgiveness, and so my whole motto is, (laughs) God forgives, I don't, so I don't think they should be welcomed back into society. I think, like, if you did, if you, uh, did something really bad, and you should just, like, have to live with remorse and guilt for the rest of your life in, like, solitary confinement. Like, I'm not saying I approve the death penalty because that's a whole nother topic but I don't think that um yeah I just don't think we should do I just don't think they deserve to I don't know it's fine whatever so what we're saying right now is neither of us are ever going to be on a court (laughs) (laughs) where no one's ever letting us on (laughs) nope Uh, yeah and this is all like a very sensitive topic and a very complicated topic um and this is also, like, this isn't exactly the direct question that we were asked, um, which is about, because a lot of this conversation has been under the assumption that, like, these men did commit these crimes um, and the way that we feel is just to punish them, even though the court doesn't. And then, it, the like, genuinely, truly, like, it is still ambiguous legally whether or not, like, Casey Affleck did sexually harass his co-workers. Um, because, like, a court is not found guilty and, like, this is how American society functions. Um, so while we're using him as an example, um, and there are, like, you can read, uh, the accounts from different sides about all of this, but my point is that this is a systematic thing, and overall, this is how the system, as I have observed it, works. 
Yeah, you make some good points. <sighs> I think also we need to look at this from another angle. Um, and we have been, I think maybe, or at least I have been coming down very harsh on this. Um, especially, you know, since I'm like, not attacking, but um, attacking <laughs> yeah. rich white males. But I also think we need to look at this from the perspective of the women or of the victims in these situations. Um, at least I know, like Quinn mentioned before, how uncomfortable, not uncomfortable, but just disheartening it would be to like be one of the women that Casey Affleck uh, sexually harassed and watch him, you know, win this amazing, amazing award for his acting. Um, but yeah, I just don't, it's just, it's just very hard for me, to, I, I think, to feel like justified that I can speak of this because I have been lucky enough never to have to go through this. Um, so I definitely feel like uncomfortable making any sort of generalization about what victims should be feeling or what victims are feeling. Um, so I just want to say, though, that I think we do need to consider um, the victims in these incidents and look at it from that perspective as well. Yeah. To bring up Brock Turner again... Um which is just a very interesting case. Um, so to, to refresh on this whole case is like Brock Turner was a college student who raped a fellow college student um, and he went to jail for six, six months, months maybe. It was, and he was like caught in the act. Like this was non-ambiguous that he was very guilty. He was found guilty, sentenced to six months um, for, like, this horrible assault on this woman. And this whole case went viral because of this letter that she wrote um, and read before court about her own experience, her own feelings, like, about this very short sentence for this crime. Um, and basically, it was used as this whole case, this whole example of, like, how this young man... And basically, they, they, the judge came out and said that, like, they don't want to ruin his life. And they think that the time in prison would be too hard on him. And, and it's... That case is such a good example of the way that these stories focus on the men um, in these situations and not the fact that, like, he ruined this woman's life. <laughs> not in that, like, she doesn't have a life anymore and she can't live, like, a full life because she actually can, but she will always have that now. Like, she will always have this assault upon her that happened to her and she had to deal with that. She had to go through therapy for that. Like, she had to learn, relearn how to live her life after going through this experience. Um, and that's something that'll never leave her. And again, like, in all of these kinds of things that happen, like, people will go on to, like, live full lives and, like, do what they want to do. But there are so many people who suffer from PTSD from this kind of trauma um, and other related disorders. And so when we talk about like ruining someone's life with sexual assault allegations or with punishment for um, sexual harassment or sexual assault, like there's damage that's already been done. Mm -hmm. And like this is the retribution for this damage. This is not like the first attack. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And also imagine just being a victim in like this scenario and reading the articles that were released about this case. Like they described him, you know, as um, a talented swimmer. And I think in one article that described, you know, the case and um, the fact that he raped this young woman, it like included his swim times. So it's just like, why is that? It just goes off to what I was saying before, how when you do something this bad, I think it becomes your identity. I don't think it's another aspect of your identity. Like, it's not like that you raped someone. It's that now you are a rapist. And I know that's a very black and white 
um, way to look at it, and I know some people would understandably um, feel like there are more gray areas, but at least for me, like, that's how I view it. And again, like, we're trying to speak from this perspective and bring attention to this perspective as to people who, well, statistically speaking, very luckily um, have not gone through things like this. So this is more of us trying to think about the other side versus, like, being able to authoritarily authoritatively speak for the other sides, but definitely something important to think about in cases like this. So for our pop culture segment today, we're going to talk about 13 Reasons Why, which is actually a, now a really, really big hit series on Netflix, um, but it was also based on the book by Jay Asher, 13 Reasons Why, which came out in 2007, so 10 years ago. Yikes. Um, and is now it has now been made into a uh, TV series, which is exclusively on Netflix. Um, one of the producers actually is Selena Gomez, so that also garnered a lot of attention. My girl. Oh, she's flawless. She's so pretty. You know she's dating The weekend now? I heard, yeah. Ooh, yikes. God, that... what an attractive couple. Oh, I know. Also, they're very talented, but also they're very attractive. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so anyways, um, so this series has... So this book garnered a lot of attention um, in the YA community, YA literature community, and now the series is garnering even more attention um, because of the way it portrays teen suicide. Yeah. So brief note on this. So I used to work in a children's library. Fun fact. Um, so I'm, I'm like very aware of all YA literature that came out before about four years ago, um, which is just a fun fact about me. So I remember when this book came out and then... Um, I, cause I must have, I was pretty young. Like I was too young to be reading it at that time, but I remember I, it was like a big deal. Um, and it like got a lot of really, really good reviews. Um, and I never did end up reading it, but then they just announced the series, which has gotten a lot of really positive attention. There are a lot of people who really like it, but there's also been a lot of really strong criticisms of it, um, specifically for its portrayal of suicide and suicidal people. Um, and just to recap, 13 Reasons Why is basically about this girl named Hannah Baker who, um, who commits suicide uh, when she's in high school and she leaves behind these 13 tapes. And these 13 tapes are dedicated to 13 different people in her life um, who sort of led her to her decision to commit suicide. Um, actually, fun f- well, not a fun fact, but a fact is that um, the name actually has a lot of significance why the author, Jay Asher, picked Hannah Baker. Um, because he was originally going to go with Anna, but, um, apparently he read a lot of books about suicide where the character was named Anna, so he changed it to Hannah to make it, you know, more unique, and then he changed, and then her last name is Baker, because Baker's dozen is 13, so I just... I like how you know that. Yeah. I know a lot of weird facts. Okay. Um, anyways, so she leaves behind these 13 tapes, and the book is basically, um, this kid... This kid, Clay Jensen, who gets the tapes and he listens to all the tapes and he finds out um, why she committed suicide. And the whole premise of the book is basically to show that suicide is not the right answer um, and that we should be careful and look at um, how we say things to people and how we act around people and just how we treat people in general and how we can look for signs of suicide or signs of depression in other people so we can prevent um, future deaths. And that's the premise of the book. Um, the TV series is a little different because it takes this plot and just makes it ten times more dramatic. Yeah, so I have not actually watched it. You have watched the whole mm-hmm. thing, correct? Yeah. 
Like, over the weekend. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so I am going to be talking about this as someone who did not actually watch it, but read, um, have has, like, weirdly read a lot about it, um, and the way that it does, like, portray these topics, um, and I have, based on, like, what I've read, um, and the descriptions that I've seen of some of the scenes in the show, like, I have some strong problems with it. Um, I don't know what you think as someone who actually watched it. Like, how did it come off to you? Mm-hmm. So, I really liked the book because I think it was it handled suicide very well, which is a topic that is very, very hard to, I think, grapple with. Um, because there was this message of kindness for other people, and it was very anti-bullying, and it was always, you know, think before you speak, um, think before you act, and it had this really great message, and I think that message was lost a little bit in the TV series, um, just because, you know, they're making it for, um, for entertainment, for strictly entertainment purposes, um, or at least more so than educational, I think. Um, I thought the cast was amazing. Uh, Selena Gomez actually had, you know, um, worked on who was being who was playing who, and I think she did a really great job in casting um, all the roles in the show. However, I do think that the plot was all the plot lines were inflated by like a factor of ten to make it you know fill up thirteen episodes. Because in the book, um, Clay listens to all these tapes that Hannah Baker left in you know over a few days, and it's throughout you know and his experience is described in the book. However, in the TV series, it's spread over 13 episodes, like an episode for each tape. So it's dragged out much longer than I think it needed to be. And also I think it detracts away from the main point, um, of the show, which is anti-bullying and, or the main, um, main themes of the story, which is anti-bullying. And also like suicide is not the right answer that you have, you do have other options. Um, and I think that Clay in the TV series was a lot more focused on like revenge and trying to get back at everyone who hurt Hannah as opposed to in the book where he was more focused on preventing future suicides. Mm -hmm. The main criticisms that I've heard of this TV show, which you touched on definitely are like the way it sensationalizes suicide um, and the drama that it put around it. This focus on like the way to make a message is to kill yourself and leave messages to other people. Um, which is, like, an extremely unhealthy message to send to people. Three, and correct me if this is wrong, like, what I've heard is, like, there's basically no talk about mental illness in the show, um, when that is, like, one of the leading factors of suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and four, that they actually, like, show um, Hannah cutting her wrists on screen, which, according to, like, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, is explicitly against their guidelines of how to depict suicide in media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't think it was the last episode. It might have been, it was either the last episode or the penultimate episode where they actually depict um, Hannah's very graphic suicide. In the book, um, it says, like, it mentions how she committed suicide very briefly because the author doesn't want, that. Like, that's not the point of the book, to distra- describe how she kills herself. Um, it's, like, mentioned in literally one line, oh, like, she swallowed a, she swallowed a bottle of pills. But in the, in the series, it's depicted very, very, very graphically. Um, and they do put a trigger warning at the beginning of the episode, like they have to. Um, but still, like, it, it was very, very unsettling. And I know they did that to sort of try to take away from the fact that they did glamorize this idea of suicide and the idea of, you know, leaving your message behind. 
um, by depicting this very gruesome, I think, um, suicide where she, like, cuts her wrist in the bathtub and then her mom finds her and it's just, it's, it's, it's horrifying. Um, and I understood what they were trying to do here, but I don't necessarily think that helped the message at all. Yeah, and, like, according to people who are actually research this stuff and, like, this foundation that their whole goal is to prevent suicide, like, this is exactly what you're not supposed to do. Like, you should not show people, like, harming and killing themselves um, on screen, and you should not, like, glamorize it in this way um, and stress these ideas instead of talking about, like, like the real... Um, and, like, glamorize these ideas of, like, sending a message and making a point and all these things, which are, like, what for a lot of teen suicides, like, could encourage people and, like, reinforce that idea that that is an effective way to spread a message when that is, like, exactly the wrong things to be saying to people and is, like, very not true since the most effective way to spread a message is to live and, like, to share your own message. Mm-hmm. And just, I just want to say one more thing about that is the fact that they could have, I think, shown all of that without depicting, you know, the play-by-play of the suicide. Like, they could have captured all of this and everything they wanted to send with a simple, like, before and after. Like, I don't think they needed to show, like, the full 15-minute scene. Um, I don't think that's necessarily helped. 15 help- minutes? Okay, it was, like, it was, like, 5 to 10 minutes, but it felt like 15 minutes because it was, every- like, they the camera did not leave her at all. Oh my like, God. I thought it would have been more effective and maybe even more potent if they just did a before and after and it would just been, like, you know, but they did, they wanted to depict every graphic, gory detail, um, and the producers and directors said that because they wanted, you know, to send this message across that suicide is not glamorous, but I don't think, I think they still could have shown that without doing the full play-by-play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it just shows that like, they did not do the research that they needed to do to do this show effectively, or they made the decision to ignore that kind of research in order to make the, like, sensational show that they wanted to make, which one is negligent and one is actively harmful. And, and I mean, considering the source material, like, the basic premise of this story, like, a girl kills herself and leaves tapes behind for the people in her life. Like, there's not a lot of wiggle room there um, to make an effective story that is not harmful to especially teens like suffering from mental illness who may be suicidal um like you have to toe that line extremely carefully if you want to tell an effective story that is helpful instead of harmful um and i just feel like they did not put the proper care into that and so i haven't seen the show i don't think i'm going to watch it um i don't really love like suicide portrayals in media and that's something that like I don't really want to expose myself to but I wish that they just had put in the effort in the right places because like clearly this is a well-produced show they put a lot of care and attention to it and I just think that they should have put that same kind of care and attention into building something that did not have these kinds of triggers and these kinds of dangers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just want to emphasize that point by saying, yes, the details that they did put into the show were amazing. Like, they, like every piece of clothing was picked very carefully. Like, the actors, like, the way they did their hair, like, everything was just so finely tailored to fit, you know, um, I think a really good, uh, good representation of all the characters um, 
in the book, but it was just that the overall plot, I think, is where they missed the missed their mark. You know, just the show. Just the entire basis for the for the book, but it's fine, whatever. So yeah, just general thoughts and warnings about this show. I don't think that Netflix is facing any kind of particular fallout for this. Um on like a large scale, which is interesting, but there there are a lot of people who are very displeased. So I would just say like, I'm not going to watch this show. Um, I think it's going to continue to be controversial. I don't think they've put out any kind of apology or statement about it yet. Um, so that'll be interesting to see like if this does escalate to that point that they feel the need to apologize for it because it's hurting their business or if most people just are generally okay with it and don't think it's a problem. Mm-hmm. I will mention, though, that there is some redeeming qualities about the show, um, and the fact that how the show was made, it was, like, the, um, the book is very old-fashioned, like, there's a bad picture of Hannah that's spread around, but it's, like, an actual photograph in, in the book, I believe, but on the phone, um, on the phone, but in the TV series, it's, everything's done on iPhones, so it does make it more relevant, and so it does make it more easily relatable to teenagers nowadays, Um, but yeah, I would recommend the book. Not really sure if I would recommend the TV series, but yeah. Yeah, consume media at your own discretion. Um, we started and ended with death, so there's that. I mean, doesn't everything? You make some good points. Anyway, uh... If for any reason you want to find us on Twitter after that, um, you can find us at MixedFeelingsFM. You can also find us at Relay.fm slash MixedFeelings. Um, and in both of those places, you can send us feedback. Uh, you can also find us in the iTunes store, where it'd be great if you left us a review. You can find me on Twitter at AspiringRobotFM. And you can find me on Twitter at underscore Jillian Parker. Thanks for talking with me today, Quinn. Thanks for talking with me. I'm Jillian Parker. I'm Quinn Rose. And these were our mixed feelings.